This seminar, entitled The Priority of Evangelism, was recorded at the 2019 Pioneer Conference in Malaga. The speakers are Stuart and Amel Radley. Well, welcome. <laughs> welcome. Can I just ask you one or two questions? Um, just so you know who we are, I'm Stuart. This is Amel, my wife. And we are um, an Anglo-Algerian team. Because Amel is originally from Algeria. And I come from Essex. Yes. Unlikely combination. Cultural centre of the universe. <laughs> For those that understand that. And we're currently in Montpellier, and we moved to Montpellier nine years ago, and we planted a church in Montpellier. And we're going to tell you a bit more about that. Um, and I still work in the UK. I travel backwards and forwards one week in two because I'm also a surveyor in Brighton so I have a split personality yes. it's a sort of Dr Jekyll and a Dr Hyde but anyway <laughs> so um, right can, can I just ask you a few questions so how many of you are you how many of you are from the UK and currently in the UK uh, are some of you from continental Europe or some of you in Europe yeah, how many of you, are some of you from other, other than those two places, or is Great, well done. <laughs> like, you mean yeah. living? Or Sorry? Living there now, you mean? Yeah, where are you living now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, are you, um, how many of you are in sort of church plant situations? And are some of you thinking of going to church plant? Okay, so a fair number of you are in church planting situations, so you probably know it all anyway. So <laughs> Anyway, we're going to share a little bit of our experience with you, but I think we're just... Um, um, so I'm just going to speak for a few minutes, and then we're going to talk a little bit... Uh, we're going to do lots of bits and pieces this morning. It's not going to be all the same thing. So I'm going to talk a little bit about the subject, and then we're going to talk a little bit about our experience in Montpellier, and then... Uh, at some point, I'm going to interview Amel because uh, my wife is a wonderful evangelist, and uh, so we're going to pick her brains and get some get some ideas from her. And we're going to do a mixture of things, and we're also going to have a, perhaps an interactive time, a bit of discussion between us. And I hope that we will really pray at the end as well. So just to give you a bit of an idea where we're going, but it's going to be bits and pieces, and I don't know quite whether we'll get it through it or we'll just see how we go. Is that okay? All right, great. Right, I'm going to just speak for a few minutes. Um, um, when I got this title, The Priority Evangelism, a primary reason for planting churches in the first place, I thought somebody ought to have added on the end of it, discuss. <laughs> because it seemed to me, my word, what a mouthful, and um, what does that mean? And it's a bit like when you've got a, if you've done an exam and you've got an essay title and you think, what the heck do I do with that? And then you sort of give up in the end and you just write down everything that you know rather than really answering the question. And I feel a little bit like that today with this subject really because when you come to it saying the priority of evangelism, a primary reason for planting churches in the first place, well, uh, my first reaction is, well, of course. <laughs> of course, or um, it's a no-brainer. Um, since when did you go and try and plant a church without having evangelism really at the heart of what you're trying to do. And um, uh, I mean, obviously I, I thought a little bit, and I'm not going to really go through um, a great deal of um, uh, biblical stuff really this morning, but I mean, the first disciples had their commission from Jesus. Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And then this verse that was um, shared, I think, in the first session um, uh, yesterday, saying, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And before uh, the church started, the first disciples, they had that command of Jesus, that command to go and to be witnesses. Um, so obviously um, in uh, the beginning of Acts, you have the disciples hearing that from Jesus. They wait, and then the Holy Spirit comes on them on the day of Pentecost, 
and God moves powerfully and 3,000 people are added to that church. And almost instinctively, those believers, those people who've been evangelised, who'd come to Peter and said, what must we do to be saved? And got saved and got baptised. Almost instinctively, they started forming a community and a church. They wanted to be where the apostles were. They wanted to see the wonders and the miracles that were being done. They wanted to receive the teaching of the apostles and they gathered into a church. But first of all, there was a, an announcement of the gospel and Peter spoke the gospel and God moved in power and people were saved. And uh, then if you think further along, obviously persecution came and the church in Jerusalem was scattered and they went down into, went into Samaria, went to various places and the gospel spread through the persecution and through people going and gossiping the gospel where they, where they went. And then obviously you read about um, Paul and um, you know Paul's travels, Paul's going to uh, plant churches and um, uh, every time you see a church emerging in the book of Acts uh, it's, it's not recycling Christians that were already there, uh, it's preaching the gospel, it's evangelism that started the churches. I mean it's true that Paul went sometimes first to the synagogues and uh, spoke to the synagogues, uh, people in the synagogues, people who were God-fearing, and, and sometimes he was received, and sometimes he was often kicked out, and uh, then he went to the, the pagans, and the people had completely no idea of the gospel. Uh, and you see also Paul going in Philippi to uh, a place of prayer down uh, by the river, I think, going to a place of prayer, and there he meets, uh, he meets Lydia, and she, her, God opens her heart, and she becomes a believer, and the church is birthed through that. But in terms of our subject, it seems to me that really, um, although Paul sometimes went to God-fearing people first, uh, primarily the churches in the New Testament were birthed through evangelism. And certainly in our culture, perhaps evangelism is perhaps not the only reason you might plant a church. I mean, obviously, as New Frontiers, there's a prophetic calling to... Um, uh, to um, uh, kind of influence the expression of Christianity or change the expression of Christianity in the world. And it's true that our churches have had an influence and our style, our way of doing churches, the combination of the word and the spirit is perhaps a reason to build sound, strong churches, particularly when you look in Europe and you find many churches, unfortunately, are in legalism or many churches... Uh, are perhaps uh, weak in some areas and there's a need to build strong churches but surely our heart cry must really be to mm. reach the lost you know when you're in a country like we are in France where uh, less than one percent of the population mm. is evangelical Christian mm. uh, you can't really aim to plant a church there and think well we'll recycle some Christians mm. we'll do a different sort of church uh, for the benefit of the Christians no we've got to reach the nations we've got to reach the lost and that has always been our heart I think it must always be um, the heart for whatever church planting situation we're in certainly biblically speaking I don't really see how you can go to a church plant without having that as your perhaps number one objective we're going to reach the lost we're going to see people say you're going to see them gathered and added and built in to the church so um, I'm sorry, that's about as theological as it's going to get. It's not that I don't respect the word of God. <laughs> I really do. <laughs> and uh, so I wanted to just, um, just uh, it might be helpful if we can just, we're just going to share a little bit about um, how we planted the church and what that experience was like a little bit, and particularly with emphasis a bit on evangelism and uh, so forth. And then we're, we're going to come back to the Bible and talk a bit more about some principles that come a little bit out of our experience. But, so anyway, I'm going to let Amel give you a little bit of an indication as to How what we, we did. Yes. Uh, we were a bit crazy, actually, because uh, uh, we lived in Brighton, super church, uh, youth groups for our children. We had um, three kids age, um, I mean, we moved four years after God spoke to us, uh, but pre-teens. And everything was going well, business was going well, my work was going well, everything was fine. And then suddenly, I mean, I could go further when we first met. 
mission was on our hearts straight away, a mission to French-speaking North Africa, France. So right from the start, that was, you know, our reason for being together as well as being good friends and of each other. Uh, but it was very much the strong point, the strong link in our couple. Uh, but then the timing of starting mission was not right. We lived actually in Paris when we were first married in the early 90s. But God said, back home, you're not ready, guys. So we went back home for what we thought would be a couple of years, but we ended up staying 17 years before God, uh, I mean, before we moved, about 14 years before God spoke again. And the same person who said, lay aside your calling, prophesied over Stuart and myself, and said, now it's time to pick up the things that I've called you to do. So I think it's very important that God speaks because when the going gets tough, it's important to know that God's spoken because there's nothing worse than going and then it doesn't work and you have to drop it and it's difficult. Um, so that's the background. God spoke through prophecy. We nevertheless took four years before we moved. We had to check it out. We had to bounce it off other people uh, in the church. And then we did what young parents with teenagers should never do. So we moved three teenagers, aged 16, 14, and 13 and a half, uh, for, uh, whatever, 13, 14, 16, to France. And fortunately, I never spoke French to them. Mm. I had three kids in three years, got married a bit late in life, and it was exhausting. Mm. So I didn't, voila. Uh, <laughs> so we, we moved them, no French, starting high school with no French. Uh, but by the grace of God, they've got good brain, and they, they learned the language, they passed their back with good results, went to university, all three of them. So it's, it's, when God calls, he gives the grace to everything. So voila. Um, so anyway, we, uh, so we started, we moved to Montpellier and started in our home. We bought a house. I didn't like that house. I thought, this is not the house I want. I had a better house before, but the house had a... She laughed, she's in my church. But it had a massive room, which was nearly 40 square meters uh, on the ground floor. And when the estate agent was showing us, I don't know what this room could be for, cinema and, you know, something. And we looked at each other and said, we know exactly what this room is going to be for. So, um, uh, we, we said, so to cut the story short, within a year and a half or so, we, Stuart was commuting, so we had to get used to being apart every week. He was going back to the UK, ca coming back every weekend. Uh, but there came a point when uh, we had to go live and started, uh, we had to go and, and start the, the meeting in our, in our room. And we found a handful of people, some English people joined us, some amazing English people joined us mm. with gifts of hospitality, not necessarily evangelism, but evangelism in a different way. Yeah. Some generous people, some kind people, some smiley people, um, all ingredients to make a church. And, and even our whole family, there was, um, I mean, Stuart can preach, I, I'm good on welcome, strangers, etc. Our son could play the guitar, couldn't sing at the same time, but he had to learn. And, uh, our daughter loves working with kids, so she had to take the kids wow. out into a room. Our youngest daughter, again, was good with piano, and she helped out of a fashion. So we had, a, we had a, an evangelist, a teacher, and uh, within just the five of us in the family, and then others were added to us, and we, we started going. Keep going, you're doing great. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we, one thing that I think we both remember is that we had a few Christians added, but there was, there was always a non-Christian in our midst. I don't know how, but always, you know, more or less all the time. And it continues now. Every Sunday, you, you give an appeal, and there are non-Christians amongst us. Uh, it just happens. It's, um, 
So we we kept we started. We did about a year in our home. That was hard work, though. I have to, to admit, six seven o'clock in the morning. We did a meal for everybody. So get up early, set the room. Kids involved. They were learning French. They were still, you know, they had a lot of homework. France is harsh with education, and um, uh, so uh, and then people would come. Some would turn up at eleven instead of ten and stay until five o'clock in the afternoon. So all day basically at seven o'clock at night I'd be on my knees cleaning my floors etc hard work mm. it was hard work but well worth it a sense of family uh, people came they loved the atmosphere and uh, and God gave us the grace for it until one day we were doing the meeting it was 12 and then 20 and then 25 and sometimes it went back to 12 whatever but one day suddenly there were like 40 or 45 people in the house few Hungarians in the corridor with bikes and uh, <laughs> we married the Hungarian who came years back just a few months ago which is wonderful um, um, so lots of non-Christians etc so by then I thought I've had enough of this you need a building 40 45 people in your home kids trying to study dad going back to England uh, was tough so we started looking and we found our first, um, our first building, a music school, which after a few weeks or months of us using that building went bust. Mm -hmm. So we were going to be kicked out. But then the uh, uh, a dance guy, a guy who was doing tango dance, we communicated, negotiated with him. We took over, he took over the building. So we were able to stay for a year. But then at the end of that year, it was, we, it was just the one room like this, so what do you do with kids? They were playing in the car park, mm -hmm. uh, that wasn't right. Um, so we prayed and then we, one way or another we found another dance school, this time it was uh, salsa dancing. <laughs> and it was two separate rooms and a bar, mm -hmm. so that was wonderful. <laughs> so we lived there for about th uh, three years. We started growing. 60, 70, sometimes more, sometimes less. Yes. Yes. And then one day, the guy who rented the place went bust. And within a weekend, we had to find somewhere else. Uh, thankfully, I mean, I work as an estate agent, so we have links all over the place with uh, business people, etc. So one way or another, we managed to find other places. And uh, voila, I think it's time for you to take over. I <laughs> I'll just show you a couple of photos just of what Abel's describing. I mean, that, that's where we used to meet in our downstairs room. And uh, the one on the left, and there's my son who's uh, there with his, well, she was his girlfriend then, but now she's his wife. And, uh, and then we used to eat outside at the terrace at the back, and we used to often eat together, which was actually great. And I think the fact that we used to eat regularly after our meetings put something into the church in terms of hospitality and relationship which although we don't do that now, is still, is still there. I mean, we always have an apero after, after the meeting. Um, you've got to do that well. Somebody once came to me and said, um, somebody a bit religious came to me, who was in the church for a while but isn't now, but came to me and said, could we change apero to communion fraternelle, or sort of brotherly communion? I said, no, it's going to stay as a pero because it's much more relevant with the culture. So, we, so anyway, we, we, we used to... An apero, sorry, yeah. I'm assuming you're all bilingual French-English on there. But, uh, an apero is, uh, is like uh, an aperitif, you know? So it's, um, it's, it's like, it's like um, a drink and wine and cheese and stuff like that, and just a few nibbles, basically. It's kind of in the French culture sometimes, you instead of having a meal with people, you might have an aperitif, so people come round, have a few canopies, and uh, it's not quite like that, but um, you know, a bit of alcohol and stuff like that, but uh, apéro is a term that everybody in the south of France would know, whereas communion fraternelle is not terribly well known, really. Um, anyway, I don't know why I'm telling you all that, but anyway, that's, that's, that's the early days, and uh, just, just to give you an idea, gradually, you know, God's been gracious to us, um, I mean, that's that's kind of a church meeting now. Wow. 
that's um, one thing we have we have done is we started fairly early on a once a year weekend away and we get, went to a place at Set which is down by the sea and it costs quite a bit of money but it's always been a great moment and we, we kind of bribe people to get there really you know, sort of pay them to come and uh, say if you haven't got the means just come anyway and anyway so we gather uh, and that always gathers people and that's always been a great moment of really encountering God and uh, this is another kind of feature that sort of got built into our church life we had um, when we were in our house one Sunday morning, uh, a woman came in at the back and she had a collar on her neck and she looked really terrible. I thought, man, who's turned up today? <laughs> anyway, she turned out, she's a Christian, but she, she, she has been really the, the, the force behind a, a thing called a court café croissant, which sounds very dodgy, doesn't it? But um, what it means is you have a Sunday morning meeting, but you have breakfast as well, basically. So it's a pretty simple idea. Just to prove it, you can see the panel chocolate in the front of the right-hand <laughs> photograph. And, um, I mean, basically, there's a picture of two of them, one in our current setting, one in the salsa dancing studio where we used to be. But the kind of idea is that people come along, you invite non-Christians, um, we do a short time of worship, short time of prayer, a shorter preach than usual, but with a gospel preach. And... There's a lot of time to talk to people and get to know people. And they've been, we've done them sort of once a term, something like that. And they've been really useful things to get non-Christians in and encourage people uh, really to, um, to draw into the church. Um, Amel talked about the, the famous Sunday morning in our home when four Hungarians turned up in the, uh, in the hallway. I mean, I always used to pray when we planted the church. I think... Well, one of my fears when I left the UK to, to go to France was that I'd sort of end up as an English guy at the back of a French church, mm. not doing nothing. I really thought that might happen to me, really. And um, anyway, God had other plans, thankfully. Um, but um, I think I always said to myself, well, if we go to France, and if it doesn't work out with the church plant, if we reach some non-Christians, at least we'll have done something worthwhile. We'll have, we'll have seen some people come to the Lord and that... You know, at least we're doing something for the kingdom if we do that. And one of my prayers has always been, God, please may there be a non-Christian here this Sunday. And, and even in the early days, and it, it's true that Amel said, I mean, when we started going, uh, we spent a year going every other uh, Sunday. And uh, uh, then when we went every single Sunday, because we, we, we could only build if we really went every single Sunday, really. And when we did that, um, I remember the first three Sundays, there were just 12 people there. But each of those Sundays was a non-Christian. It was a non-Christian lady. She didn't, sadly didn't get saved. Um, but it's always been a prayer of mine that we'd have a non-Christian. One time we had a guy coming and he was got his guitar on his back. He came on the tram and he met this guy on the tram. We said, what, you know, start talking to him about his guitar. And this guy was coming back from spending all night out at the nightclubs, I think. Anyway, he turned up in the meeting. I mean, he just turned up out of the... He came with him to the meeting. We threw a huge jug of coffee down his throat and uh, we saw him once and we never saw him again <laughs> but you know we always prayed for non-Christians to come in the meeting we had some very bizarre people in the early days we had some people who came from a kind of hostel from the homeless so we had um, we had a guy called Stan who turned up who was an alcoholic and uh, it's quite interesting you know and one day he turned up in a suit and a tie because he decided he really liked Barbara, who was this English lady with her, because he decided that Barbara was a woman of quality because he'd seen a picture when we'd eaten round at her place of her when, uh, with the Queen because her husband was a mayor. And so Stan came along, and Stan was a bit of a character, and he'd sort of stand up and say things in the middle of the meeting, and he'd sort of, sit down, Stan, calm down. And, you know, it was a bit, bit chaotic, a bit, bit, you know, crazy at times. And as I say, it was this Sunday morning when... Somebody said to me, um, uh, there's four people in your hall. So I went into the hall and there's four Hungarians. There's two non-Christian Hungarians who don't speak a word of English or French. Uh, there's a Christian Hungarian guy and then there's his son. Well, in the end, his son's still in our church. And uh, as, as Amel said, he got married um, to three, uh, two, three uh, months uh, earlier this year to a lovely godly girl and uh, I was speaking to him just a few weeks ago and uh, and he would say that he came as a kind of nominal Christian with his dad but he found faith wow. and he's been baptised in the spirit since the time he's been with us 
He's now, um, you know, he's got a job, he's got a permanent job. He, had, he was unemployed for ages and ages, but he's going on with God. And it's really encouraging when you see. So I was always praying, God send people to us. I do believe if we preach the gospel and if we give the gospel, people will come. And, and I, I, you know, I've always prayed, Lord, let there be a non-Christian. If there's not a non-Christian now, I'm disappointed, really. So we do pray for that. Um, yeah. I mean, we've seen... Um, I think one thing I think that we've seen in our experiences, I, and, and maybe we'll, we'll talk about this a bit more, but is I, I think we've seen... We've tried to create a church where people understand that mission is really important, that we're there on a mission, that the whole thing, it's not the only thing we talk about, but, but, but that we get that sense of mission and we want to reach people into the church, you know, right from the early days, really. And as I say, the Coupe Café Poisson have helped us. We've seen moments when God has moved quite powerfully. We had a Sunday morning. Um, in fact, we had quite an unusual experience where one Saturday night, Amel and I, we're feeling a bit low and a bit fed up, and Amal said, um, I really think we ought to pray, and I really didn't want to pray. <laughs> but anyway, I, I obeyed my wife, and we prayed, and as we prayed, the Holy Spirit came on me, I had this tongue, and I've never had a tongue like it, quite like it, it was, I was shouting, it was just so strong, I just sensed something was, was going on, and after we prayed, I said, something shifted spiritually. I don't know what, but wow. something's, something's happened. I don't, don't know what, but God's done something. Wow. And um, at the time, I think we thought it was more to do with things to do with our family and that. Anyway, we go to church the following Sunday morning, and um, somebody comes up and said, I had this picture this morning of like lightning coming down on people. And she shares this picture, and two women start manifesting demons in the meeting. Uh, one woman we never got to, one, the woman who was manifesting the most, we took her out and prayed with her, and I felt a couple of things definitely went, but she was screaming and shouting, and goodness knows what's going on. And um, anyway, that was quite a moment, morning, really. I never had to handle that before and explain it to people, I and mean, people in the church who'd never seen a thing like that before, and never, and, uh, but, I mean, the upshot of it is, is that the woman who we prayed for that morning is still in the church. She gave her life to Christ. Um, and her husband became Christian about two months after her. And uh, we had him round and he said, I want to become a Christian. And we said, well, are you sure? You want to go away and think about it? And we sent him away for a week, think about it. He came back the next week and said, no, I do want to become a Christian. And we prayed for him. And just after we prayed for him, I just felt this sense of, I said, can I just pray for you? I want to pray for you for the power of the Holy Spirit. We prayed for him for the Holy Spirit. And he went, ba, 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 and he was staggering around. And uh, he wasn't, he was kind of playing in tongues, but, it was, but he got baptised in the Spirit, basically, that when he became a, a Christian. And, you know, they're still in our church, a great blessing in the church. They've done the academy. You know, it's not all straightforward. There's issues in their lives, you know, as with many. But we've seen, so I think just really to say that, you know, we've seen, you know, it's a bit of our experience. You know, we've seen the church grow. The church is growing steadily, not rapidly, but we're about 100 people now um, from starting with about 12 or 15, but that has taken six or seven years to get there bit by bit. So it's a little bit of our experience. I think I just want to um, perhaps just share one or two um, things which more out of our experience, I think, which I think are helpful things for building a church that keeps evangelism as a priority. Perhaps if I could just share those with you. I think one thing that's been helpful for us is always to put an emphasis on praying for the lost and praying for God to uh, move and save people. I mean, in Acts chapter 4, the early disciples prayed, uh, Lord, stretch out your hand and perform signs and wonders and enable us to speak the word of God boldly. And, um, you know, Colossians... Um, in uh, chapter uh, 4 and verse 3 says, Paul says uh, pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should 
So I think we've always tried in our prayer meetings, or I've always led our church prayer meetings until recently, and I've always tried to get the praying outwards. You know, I've always tried to pray and say, God, please save people. We pray for this town. You know, we need people saved in this city. We bless other churches and what they're doing in this city. You know, bless them. But Lord, we want to see the Spirit of God move and we want to see people saved. So I think we pray for people that and pray. Uh, it's biblical to pray for ourselves. Pray that we will have the boldness. Pray that we will have the courage to proclaim Jesus. Pray that we, you know, we do proclaim it. So I think putting that in our prayer times as a church is a, is, a, is a key thing. I think a second thing is obviously is to encourage um, personal evangelism and that actually every member of our church has a role to play in reaching the lost. Yeah. Uh, Barbara, who's a mid, sort of middle-aged, late middle-aged English lady in our church, when she came, she said, uh, look, I'm not much good at anything, but I can serve. <laughs> Um, I'm not very gifted at this or that, but I can serve. So I said, great, you know, please come. And uh, she has been uh, a huge force in the church, really, because she just serves her heart out. She invites people round. She has lots of people round for meals. In the early days, we often ate at Barbara's, and it was brilliant. And she just served. And she's not a huge evangelist. She's not a huge uh, person to bring a word on a Sunday. Uh, she speaks French with a wonderful English accent, um, but she she's a server, and she you know. And actually, the guy I talked to you earlier, the Hungarian guy Johnny, uh, she had him live with her for two and a half years, and, and and he wouldn't be where he is today without her. Really, and just somebody who's willing to give of themselves, be hospitable, and serve. And that's all part of the work of evangelism of the church. I think you know you want to encourage people to that everybody, we've all got a part in this mission. And you're, yeah. it's not necessarily that you're an Amel who goes and talks to anybody and <laughs> anywhere, um, but just by hospitality, just by loving people, um, you can uh, have an impact. Um, I think another thing I would say that's important to create if you're planting a church is really to create a church that is genuinely and sincerely welcoming to people. I, th I think having met in a home actually helped us with that. And, and when you're in the early days, you're, you really want people to join you. So you're very good at going out and welcoming people. I think we have more of a challenge now as a church, now we're bigger, to really manage to keep that quality of welcome going. And that's something we've got to look at and work on, I think. But, um, but Romans 12.9 says, love must be sincere. Uh, and I think... Um, it is important that we genuinely love people. I think at the end of the day, you can have all the equipment and all the paraphernalia and all that, but actually you've got to love Jesus, you've got to love people. And, and actually evangelism works when you genuinely love people and take an interest in people and care for people. And that's something that I think we need to cultivate in our churches and people do still comment that we are a very welcoming church when they come. I think we have some weaknesses now in that area, but people do because people are not used to going out and talking to people. I think another thing uh, linked really with that is that um, we need to be authentic in our churches. And I think actually there is a real hunger these days for what is authentic. You know, in our culture these days, people are looking for... Um, you know, food that's real and genuine, that's not uh, not been got additives and things in it, or people are people are looking to, to to care about the planet, or looking for a different way of living that is more fulfilling. There's a there's a there's a hunger for authenticity, and I think the church, the local church, has such a capacity to provide a community which is authentic and real that cannot be matched anywhere in society. Um, you know, when you look at our church, we had a when we were about 50 people, I counted one Sunday morning, we had 17 different nationalities amongst the 50 people that were there. Um, it's not quite as diverse now, but it's, you know, I think, and we have people in our church who haven't got a bean. We've had asylum seekers in the church, and yet we've got people with doctors in the church. And I think having that mix of all of society, different races, different nations, that speaks something powerful to non-Christians who come in. I think that uh, authenticity, that community, is really, really important to create. And I think it's important that in our churches we have 
a real spirituality, that we're genuine, we're real in our worship. Um, one of the battles in France when you have Christians come in is some people have this great long prayer that they bring out on a, on a Sunday morning. And, um, you know, sometimes I've, I've, I've stopped it. And I, well, I haven't stopped the prayer, but I've said, right, okay, I just want prayers of two or three words. You know, and let's hear some of you and, and just, just pray out what's in your heart. You need to battle for something that's authentic, a real spirituality in the church. Uh, I think... I don't think it, you know, sometimes we're a bit clunky. I mean, I know people say, well, it's good to do things excellently and well, and I, I don't have a problem with that. Um, we've done as best we can, but it's not terribly excellent, and it's not terribly brilliant. Uh, our worship is a guy and a guitar, and sometimes it's a bit clunky, but I think the sincerity and the reality of it is what speaks to people, and that's what we must fight for, really. Um, I, I think... Um, the fact that you get many people involved, we've tried to have different people up, different people doing things. Again, that speaks of an inclusiveness which is not necessarily there in French society, but people are attracted to that. People see something different. People see a bunch of people functioning differently, and people see, if people genuinely love one another, people realise that and they see it. And that, that is a powerful pull for the gospel. I think we must create that. I think another thing I would say is let's um, always preach uh, the cross. Uh, you know, always try from preaching to bring in the gospel somewhere in the preaching. Uh, maybe not absolutely every time, but most times we preach, we try to bring in the gospel. Recently, I've de determined I'm going to make an appeal when I speak. Even if I haven't particularly brought the gospel, I'm going to give opportunity for people to respond. Um, I think um, we need also, in order to uh, reach loss, we need the power of the Spirit. I mean, I explained to you a little bit how the power of the Spirit came on Sunday morning and somebody got saved and there was a knock-on from that. Um, we had another woman recently who broke down in the worship. God really spoke to her in the worship time and she subsequently gave her life to Christ. And I think we need the power of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who can fix the sin, uh, the world of sin and righteousness and judgment. And we need his power. Okay? So there's some things I think it's important if you're in a church planting situation to really build into your church the things that we've done which have helped and have worked. It's not a comprehensive list of things to do, but I think those things are valuable. I think maybe what we'll do now is we'll just break a little bit and we'll just have a little bit of um, discussion. I've got one or two, um, uh, if this will come back. Help! <laughs> um, I think what I'd like us to do is perhaps if you could just um, break into little groups of three or four. And I've just got one or two questions for you about your settings and things that you are doing to try and reach the lost and reach non-Christians in your settings, okay? So, you know, whether you're just a group of two or three people, whether you're a big church, perhaps we can just share about those things and then just have a bit of feedback. We're only just going to get five minutes of this, but it'll just stop you having to listen to me and uh, really share. So, I have up here... So, here's a set of questions. How are your church meetings adapted to help non-Christian visitors? What is your expectation for evangelistic success in your setting? How and when do you pray for evangelistic breakthrough? Uh, what specific projects do you have planned to reach the unsaved? Are your projects adapted to the culture in which you work? Bon. So can you just have a, a little think about around those questions maybe in your setting, whether you're in the UK, whether you're in uh, Europe, or even if you haven't really started yet, perhaps just have a think about those things and we'll just have a little bit of feedback. Okay, can I give you five minutes or so just to exchange between you, perhaps groups of three or four?
just to love on them, just to love on them, to be the back. But the expectancy was to really just pray that we'd get opportunities to offer to pray with them and just to invite them to church or to share Jesus with them. So it was a, it was a way in, but just build, building on those relationships. Very good. I mean, we, we do something similar to what you said about the meetups and, and the sports things, actually, but the meetup stuff where, as a small planting, we, we made a conscious decision that actually for us to maintain activities and things is a lot of effort for little reward often. And actually, much a much better use of our efforts and time was to identify things that were already existed yeah. and enter into those as a team. And so, uh, we, we try to have the habit of going along to there's lots of language exchanges around here. And, because lots of Spanish people want to know English. And so you go and you spend an evening with some people. And this ain't you see the same people week after week. Um, but it's been a really fruitful place to mm. share the gospel with people, opportunities to pray with people. There's people who we've maintained relationship with out of those things. But it's pretty good. The question always comes up, you know, why are you here? What are you doing here? And, you know, you've got to chat for an hour with someone you've never met before. Um, so it's a, a really good way. Of, and, and all you have to do is, you know, pay our euro by our group and nothing more than that. It's, it's been a useful use of our time. That's really good. And maybe it's kind of obvious, some people have mentioned the language thing. We, I'm from Malaga here too. And we've, everyone wants to learn English. It's pretty easy. So it's hard, we've had a hard time inviting people to a Bible study, but they would love to come learn English and practice their English skills. So it's a really easy environment. We've been doing it for five years. We've had Bible studies come out of it, people that have been saved, that wanted to study. But it's a really easy environment to find those that are spiritually open. As you're talking about your values or your heroes in life, and it's a safe environment that you can find those people that God, that the soil is ready. That you can invite them further. Hey, let's get a coffee. I heard you say, you know. So that's just been a. I get really tired of it, bored of it, and every year I'm like, oh, I don't want to do this again. And then it's like some someone's like this. The other day I had a girl. She was like, oh man, she came to our. She showed up to our prayer time yesterday. She's not a believer. She came to our prayer time just just the other day. She's like, yeah, I came because I just feel so comfortable with you guys at English club, and so I wanted to come pray with you guys, and so. It's just another thing that builds community and love people, so. Yeah. Right, I'm just gonna interview my wife now. <laughs> so this could go well, could go very badly. Good deal. Sit down. <laughs> Might find some things out I didn't know. Now, Amel is a, she's a wonderful wife, but she's, she's got quite a track record with reaching people. So, um, where's the, can you just tell us about the first person you led to the Lord and the most recent person you led to the Lord? Um, I will start with the most recent because the other one goes back a few decades. <laughs> um, so, I, I work as an estate agent and um, about three years ago a young couple in our church needed an apartment and I managed to find them just the perfect apartment. They were about to get married, beautiful apartment. And we got very friendly with the, with the person selling. Um, so they invited us to, uh, to eat one day. The young couple invited the vendors and we us too. Um, and then two years on, so great, it, the contact is there but nothing more. Two years on, the vendor rings me and says, I've got a friend who needs help to purchase an apartment and to sell her house. Um, and I think you'll bring something to her. I think you're the perfect person to help her. So she introduces me to Martine. We speak on the phone over a period of time. And then we finally meet. And amazingly, I find her an apartment and I sell her house. So we had professional, you know, in, fr in French, you have to say vous to be respectful to someone. When, when I'm in business, I always say vous, to is more familiar. So as soon as we sold her house, we, she bought the flat, then she, we sold her house, she said, now we can say to. So we became friends, similar age, and lots of things in common. And um, 
and she was just so hungry for God. She was moving to this, uh, to Montpellier and uh, I invited her to church and to my surprise, I was very surprised, she says, I'd like to come to church and she has not missed one single Sunday since. She became a Christian, we baptized her at our last weekend away and just growing lots of wonderful ladies around her. She's had a very difficult background, wealthy lady, but my, what she went through was awful. And, um, but uh, there's a lovely community of women, couples surrounding her, so that's absolutely wonderful. That's the most recent one. Yes, uh, she got baptized in June, so that's very recent. The first one mm-hmm. was, I just got saved, I was on cloud 99. <laughs> and uh, I suppose the first person was two months after I got saved, a young uh, German, no, a Swiss German lady called Alice became a Christian, started coming to house group, got delivered, Ex- uh, extraordinary, just amazing story then as well, but it's a long time ago. So are you ever afraid of talking to people? Yes, like everybody else, there are times when uh, I think, shall I, shall I not? Is it appropriate, is it not? I tend to be a relational person, I like to build relationship before I bash them with the Bible. <laughs> <laughs> I take I, some. It just depends. Sometimes I say it straight away. Sometimes I don't feel it's right to say. Sometimes it is important to build relationship for for a period of time. But yes, like everybody else, I'm nervous. How do you actually start a conversation with people? I try to make myself vulnerable. Mm-hmm. So I, I talked about things that I struggle with, things where I'm not, I'm not the strongest of person. And usually I build a friendship through um, just empathy about things. I'm not afraid of making myself vulnerable. That helps a lot. Because otherwise you're there and they're down here, but actually, no. Do you, um, do you ever witness to your boss at oh, work? Yes. <laughs> At the moment, my boss could be my son. He's 33 years old, and we get on really, really well. And right from the start, he interviewed me with his father, and um, the very first conversation we had was, I'm a Christian, etc., etc. So I spelled the whole thing in front of his dad. And a few months later, uh, after working with him for a couple of years, one day, we we were actually in the hospital for nothing nothing, uh, important. And he rings me, I said, I really need to talk to you. I said, yes, Robin, what, what is it about? He said, my dad said you should call Amel and ask her to come and pray for you because his, his um, partner was friendly with a lady who was from North African origin. It's nothing to do with North Africa, actually, but she was into, into uh, bad spiritual things. And it was affecting them, their little boy, etc. And he was a bit worried, so he asked me to come. So I went to his office. And I took a Bible, I showed him Deuteronomy, and said to him, you shouldn't be involved in things like that, and gave him a Bible and prayed with him. And things calmed down, and every now and again, he'll ask me questions. He's not a Christian yet, but I have a firm belief that he will, all in good time. So good relationship, good business relationship with him, and lots of respect on, from him to me and me to him. And we'll see what God does. Do you talk to people about heaven and hell and judgment? Absolutely. I don't do it. I don't bash people with the Bible straight away. I suppose the one, um, when I had our son, who is now 25, um, uh, when we lived in Brighton, I met a lovely lady who had also a boy, same, uh, same day, and we clicked. It was just falling in love kind of thing. <laughs> this girl and I just got on. We, we were very different, blonde, tall, blue-eyed, uh, into gardening, very creative, and me. But we just loved each other, point back. We just loved each other so much. And uh, so I witnessed to her, obviously, but she was, hot, she was blowing hot and cold, hot and cold. But our friendship was just magic. It was amazing. Uh, it took 14 years. In the process, uh, I, uh, there were times when she'd come to see me. She'd travel like a couple of hours to come and spend a day with me and all the, our children. She had two, I had three. 
um, and we would talk and it would be just amazing. We just loved being with each other. And one day I just burst out crying and I said, uh, not one day, several times, uh, on and off over the years, I said, the only difference is that when I, at the end of our lives, Deborah, we want to spend eternity together. And I'm really sad about that. Really, really sad. And I'd, I'd, I'd have tears in my eyes. Anyway, 14 years later, she gave her love to Jesus. <laughs> She's now a sister and we spend eternity in heaven. Amen. And it wasn't you who led her to the Lord. It was wasn't it? me. It was, it was she moved away to a different part of the country. Amen. She met some Christians there. And they led it to the Lord. Fourteen so, years. You mustn't think it's our responsibility. One thing that frees me, it's not our responsibility. Sometimes we sow, sometimes we water, and sometimes we reap. It's all God's work, not ours. Now, when when I first met you, one of the things that really impressed me about you was you seemed such an amazing woman of God and. Uh, some quite amazing things have happened before that when you worked for American Express yeah. in Brighton. Can you just share a little bit about that? I think she won one of the reasons I married her. She's <laughs> really pretty. Uh, I, I suppose the, um, I did what you call an impact year now. We were the pioneers in impact years. <laughs> years and years ago, we called it the year of evangelism in Brighton. I think it must have been the second one I joined. It wasn't the easiest of years. There's so much stuff that needed sorting out in my life. <laughs> it was the hardest year of my life. Um, so anyway, and, uh, all to do with identity. I, you know, I won't go into the details. But I had a lot of care in the church where I belonged to. Uh, I was nurtured, helped. Some people were very good at nurturing me. Others gave me a kick in the backside and they helped as well. And sometimes pastoring is better with a kick in the backside. <laughs> uh, but anyway, at the end of it, I found myself, all my mates, so there were 12 guys, 8 girls, went on holiday to France. And my dream was to one day be in France, in the south of France. But I couldn't because of my situation. I won't bore you with the details. So I found myself on my own and... Uh, a really good friend of mine, who's a French girl, um, said, oh, goodness, you know, we're all clearing off to have a good holiday, but she can't. So I, I stayed in this house. A friend of mine, a single lady, who had uh, a nice house, let me use her house. But something bizarre happened to me. Picked up a book, started reading it. Suddenly the Holy Spirit fell on me in an incredible and unexpected way. And I... I became the wailing lady. I started crying and crying and crying. And going to church was unbearable. I opened my mouth to pray and I was just crying for the lost. It was just, it was very sudden. It was, I couldn't, I couldn't explain it. So, but this didn't last forever, thankfully. This is quite heavy. It lasted a season. And suddenly it stopped. I resumed work. I used to work for American Express, and I got another contract, so I went back to work. And without exaggerating, I sat in a back office somewhere, and a girl who knew me, uh, who was a Christian, said, somebody heard that you were a Christian, and this girl wants to know about it. So this girl called Jackie came round, and she said... She just said, what do I do to become a Christian? But followed by Concetta, and then Tilly, and then Susan, and then grandmother, and then cousin, and then my friends, my colleague Steve, and this, that, and the other. And it was like a season of, like, without exaggerating, maybe 30 people or so in American Express became Christians. So I can't take any credit for that. I don't know what God did. It was sovereign, so we need to explain to expect God to turn up in an unexpected way. Ways. You know, when God comes in revival power, that's another story, and I long for that again. Mm. Perhaps we can just stand up, because we're going to have to finish. But I'd like us just to pray at the end, because I think it would be great to pray, uh, to believe God for more than we're currently seeing, 
evangelistically. I want that for our church in Montpellier. We've seen a few people saved, but I want to see the tens and the hundreds and the thousands saved. We haven't got time, but I, I looked out an account of the Hebridean revival, and this guy goes to a church, and there's 300 people in it, and they're closing the meeting at 11 o'clock and suddenly the Spirit of God moves and there's 600 people outside the building and they come in and then they go to the police station there's 400 people outside the police station in the middle of the night crying out to God to be saved when God moves Jesus said that when the Holy Spirit comes he will convince the world of sin and righteousness and we believe in the power of the Spirit we know the Holy Spirit's the same I think we should, I just love us just to finish, to really cry out to God for whatever your setting, whatever you are, just for God to move and to do more in terms of seeing the lost saved. Father, we just pray for this, Lord.